I grew up in, well, I spent some time in a little Baptist church, and they used to have something called Youth Sunday. Now, we didn't prepare this, right? But you essentially have the youth and children's minister preaching this morning, and you had a youth leading us in worship this morning. So it sure feels like Youth Sunday, right? Um, But the beauty of, I think, what I love about our church is that's typical, right? He just moved from there to there, right? We have, I, I love my job because I get to watch really talented young people do really awesome things. So uh, Knox, uh, Ben, Mia, who are up here a lot, everyone give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts with us. Um, I just love it. It makes, it makes my heart sing. It makes me very happy. Um, it's awesome. Um, now, it wouldn't be Youth Sunday without some new children that are joining us for the first time. Caspian is making his first appearance with his best friend, Ledger. Uh, so they're in back. I'm hearing the little chirps throughout service, and I love it. It's so awesome. Um, you're welcome to go give them a fist bump for being here. Uh, they'll cry if you do it, so a warning. Um, they're not trained on the fist bump yet, at least Caspian. I don't know about Ledger. He's Dave's kid. He could, he could be doing all this already. Um, but it's good. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, we are continuing. Um, well, we've been on this series of answering questions that were asked to Jesus. And last week, um, Patrick broke down, why is it hard to pray? And that kind of took us on this little side journey that we're going to go on, which is kind of covering prayer. And why are we doing that? Well, let's be real. The children I get to interact with and minister to, the, one of the hardest things for them is, how do I pray, right? Like that's when, when you ask your kid at home, would you like to pray? They always get little nervous. Eva's adorable. She, she goes into a little prayer closet, right? Like she goes in under the table and it's, and it's adorable, right? But there's this fear of how do I do it? And um, the older people in the room that I get to interact with, when I talk to you about prayer, it's something that all of you, I think, would universally say, I wish I did more of it and I did it better. And so prayer is something that is woven into the fabric of what it means to be a Christian. So this is why we're spending four weeks on it. And Patrick did a great job answering why is it hard to pray. And I'm going to take a lot of what Patrick said last week and filter his application through today's text. So the, top, the, the title of my uh, message today is what can empower my prayers. And that, of course, is, as we're going to see in the text, faith, love, and hope. Now, I want to remind you of the three hurdles that Patrick introduced us to last week on why it's difficult to pray. So if you missed last week, here's our refresher. If you're online, you can stop where you're at. You can go listen to Patrick's from last week and come back if you want to join us again. Excuse me. So here are the three, if you're following notes, here they are. The first hurdle of why it's hard to pray is because we have a false idea of the character of God. If you don't believe God is sovereign, if you don't believe God is trustworthy, if you don't believe God is good, it's going to affect the way that you pray. The second hurdle is we have a false view of our relationship with God. If God is just your sugar daddy, or if he's just a cosmic vending machine, right? Then when you don't get what you want, it can affect how we pray and view God. And the third one is 
that we have a false view of the spiritual warfare that exists in our life, right? We live in a very materialistic West. So we don't believe, or at least we don't functionally day-to-day, most of us at least, don't understand that there is supernatural forces at play, especially when it comes to our relationship with our Father. And so if you don't even acknowledge that, then how can you pray against it? Or how can you ascend to a God that is not material, but he is in himself immaterial and spiritual? So we need to know those three hurdles as we again look at today's text. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, if you want to turn there. We're going to spend most of our time in 15 through 23, even though we will spend a brief venture into 3 through 14. And Ephesians 1 does a great job of addressing the three hurdles that Patrick talked about last week. If you read really all of Ephesians 1, it tells us a lot about the Trinity, right? Which is who God is. So it talks a lot about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it talks about also our relationship with them, how it is God who has called us, how it is Jesus who has bought us, and is how it is the Holy Spirit who redeems us. And so it answers the second hurdle as well. And while it doesn't address the third hurdle directly, it kind of exists in the midst of all of it. Because while, yes, there are spiritual forces at play that hinder our prayers as we try to weave them into our daily lives, you have a spirit who lives inside you, whose power is greater than anything the devil could throw at you. And if you know that, then that should give you hope as you interact with the world and as you pray. So let me pray, because it would be weird to do a sermon on prayer and not pray. And then we'll dive into the text. Bow your heads with me. Father God, Thank you so much that you are a God that we get to come before. Lord, you've made us priests. We can enter the temple where you are, as you are in us, and converse with you, and wrestle with you, and complain to you, and lament on the hard things in life. And we can know that you are with us throughout all of it that you empower us to do things that we are uncomfortable with and that you sanctify us more and more into your image and into the people, the church, the bride, your bride, that you would have us to be. In your son's name we pray, amen. Follow along with me. We're going to start at 15. Go all the way to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, and the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet 
and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thus ends the reading of the word of God. The three points, if you like, I'm, I'm an OCD type of person, so if you like order, I've tried to put some order in front of you. The three points I want to make today and focus on is the faith that grounds us, the love that compels us, and the hope that assures us. So those are the three points we're going to work through today. And as I begin our text today, the first few words you see in this text are for this reason. And it was the original name of the sermon, but I shifted as I feel like every time I write a start a sermon, I immediately change it halfway through the week. Um, but why, if you're young in the faith, if you're young in the faith, I want to teach you a Bible study principle that you should have every time you open your, your scripture, right? And that is called the therefore principle. And if you ever see a therefore, you need to ask the question. You can all say it with me, right? If you see a therefore, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, right? Like you need to know what the therefore is there for. And here we see the same principle at play for this reason. We have to ask, well, what reason are you talking about? And verse 15 lays it out pretty well, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the reason he's laid out before is verses 3 through 14, which talks directly about the faith that we have what it's grounded in, the fountainhead in which our faith flows from, how we are secure in the Godhead. So that's the faith he's talking about, which is our first point, the faith that grounds us. And he answers that what is that faith in verses 3 through 14. I know it's a lot of scripture this morning, but a good pastor always told me that that should be the best part of your sermon anyways, which is the word of God. So if we spend some more time there, I hope it's okay with you. We're going to be in verses 3 through 14, just briefly to look through it so you know the faith Paul is talking about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Notice all the grace that's happening here, right? Which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom, insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, the faith you have received is a spiritual blessing according to the purpose of his will. 
How awesome is that? He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He he has lavished upon us. He has united us to himself. And I want you to notice something here. We're all passive in all those things. We're the receivers. We're blessed. We didn't earn it. It's his will, not ours. He was adopted. We didn't sign up for the team. He redeemed us. We didn't pay for squat. He forgives the debt. We earned the debt. He lavishes grace upon us. Y'all, I'm poor. I haven't lavished anything in my life, right? He unites us to himself, even when we're running the other way, dead in sin. And how does he unite us? The Holy Spirit. The faith that grounds us is a gift. The faith that grounds us is a gift. Paul makes that absolutely abundantly clear in Ephesians 2. Many of you know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Look, it's the most amazing gift any of you are going to receive. Anniversaries, birthdays, weddings will all pale in comparison. Those gifts, Christmases even, will pair in comparison to the gift you have already received. Well, AJ, how does that, how does that deal with the three hurdles and the prayer, uh, hurdles to prayer outlined earlier? It's this. One of the reasons it's hard to pray is because we don't see the greatness of the gift of faith. We don't see faith as a gift to be grateful for. Like, I don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. But at some point, the awesome animals who they might have interacted with and seen, the plants and of all different sizes and shapes and colors and the fruits of the tree and the blue sky and uh, the night sky weren't a great enough gift. Think about it. They even had each other. That was a great gift. We know. Why, why do we know? Because Adam drops poetry in Genesis 2.23. Men don't drop poetry for something they're okay with. And they had the greatest gift of all. They had God himself. But at some point, it wasn't enough. And when the serpent said, did God really say? Which goes right back to those three hurdles, right? It's the serpent attacking the character of God. It's attacking the relationship with him. And it's a spiritual being doing the, doing the tempting. They said, I don't know. They no longer saw God as a gift. They saw him as something lacking. And when we don't have faith, we feel the exact same way. We need the gift of faith to see God rightly. And when we do, everything falls into place. Unfortunately, I, like you, am human. And it's part of the human condition that it seems like we have to lose something before we see the value in it. I don't know when it happened, but Adam and Eve after the garden in the wilderness, surely had a thought, you know, I think the garden was better than this. And it was probably only in the wilderness that they realized, man, what the gift we had. I had an incident like that too. In my sophomore year of high school, we got an invitation, our choir, to sing at the Vatican, St. Peter's Cathedral. 
We were super excited. High school kids going on a tour of Italy. Now, this was not going to be a cheap trip in the slightest, but it's a public school, so they had fundraisers, and those fundraisers were crazy, and that's a sermon illustration I'm going to save for later. But anywho, we're raising money. It's three grand to go. We got to get this together. We're doing the best we can, and then September 11, 2001 hits. And if you were alive at that point and had a working memory, you know exactly where you were. And I didn't have any thought of the choir trip for the whole week after September 11th. But late September, we got the news that because of the increased threat of terrorist activity throughout the country, we weren't going to get to go. And we were devastated, y'all. Like, we had our hopes up. We had already fundraised stuff. We had already gotten money set aside. Ugh. We didn't get to go. So I graduated, believe it or not, from high school several years, several years later. I won't tell you how many years. And went to college locally in town, a school called UNC Charlotte. I joined the choir department there. And my sophomore year at UNC Charlotte, guess what? We got an invitation to sing at the Vatican. Now, I was super stoked, right? Like, I lost this chance in high school, and now I have it again in college. Now, but I'll tell you what. In high school, they give you fundraisers. In college, it, they don't give you nothing, right? Like, take out a loan or bust your rear. So we had to get a side hustle going, right? Like, AJ had 17 hours of classes and three jobs. I worked at the YMCA during the summer. I did set construction, and I worked in the admissions office as a tour guide and filing clerk. And by Christmas, the three grand was not raised. That's a lot of money to raise for a college student in that little amount of time, right? But for Christmas that year, my parents gave me the rest of the money towards the trip. Y'all, I ain't a crier. I'm not as bad as my mother, right? I cry at two things typically, like Compassion International Child videos and that part in The Lion King, which I'm not going to talk about. Those are the two parts I cry. Y'all, I wept like a baby when I had received that gift. Why? Because I had already lost it. And unfortunately, it, in life, it seems to take losing a gift to see the value of it. And unfortunately, that's how many of us see our faith. Maybe not out loud we say it, but how we live it, Right? Because the gift of faith, many a times, I ignore. I try to fit into my schedule. But we, we either don't value the gift, or I think on the worst side, we are convinced we, had to, we have to work for it. A poll was released this week. 50% of U.S. Christians affirm the statement that they believe they have to work to get to heaven. Oh, can you imagine that burden? And those are people that claim the same God we do. To live under that. But when you see faith as a gift, as you see it as something that's more valuable than anything else, then you see it rightly. And it grounds us in a way that we can live out our faith well. And that leads me to my next point, the love that defines us. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. Well, how does Paul know that they have faith? 
What is the reason? He's not in Ephesus, but what has he heard? That they have love towards one another. It's not a, a theological examination that he sent to the Ephesian people. It's not that they've posted pictures with fun Christian t-shirts on Roman Graham or whatever they were using at the time. He doesn't check their local giving statement to the local Christian radio station. No, because they have love towards the saints. When your faith is grounded in the God of gifts, then your faith extends to others. Throughout Scripture, this is the litmus test. This is the litmus test. R.C. Sproul reminds us, throughout the ages, church has understood that the most significant manifestation of true faith is love. Faith without love is not faith, only speculation or knowledge or mere intellectual assent. The fruit of authentic faith is always love. And Paul here is expressing his joy and delight that this kind of love is flowing from the faith of these people. And it is their faith and this love that moves Paul. Look at this next words. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What a delight Paul has as he's writing this. Look, I can promise you every good pastor in the country, this is what they want. And when me and Patrick get together after a week where we've seen you love one another, and it's been like hard love, right? There might've been some friction, but we've seen love take place. That's what keeps us going. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. And when the love is struggling to exist, when there's friction or conflict, you know what the first thing we pray for is love. Because it's the natural overflow of a heart that's grounded in the gift that God has given us. If you've been around Christianity long enough, you know the story of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. I'll sum it up for you. Servant A has an insurmountable debt to the king. The king is going to sell the servant, his children, and his wife into slavery to pay for the debt. Servant A panics. I would too, okay? He goes to the king, pleads for mercy. King gives him mercy. Servant A, relief. Ah, servant A walks out, bumps into servant B. Hey man, servant B has a small debt in compared to what servant A has with servant A. And servant A demands that the debt be paid and servant B pleads for mercy. Servant A throws him in prison. Now the other servants get wind of this and they go to the king. And the king pulls servant A back in and he says, you wicked servant, did you not see the gift I had given you and you cannot extend it to others? The love Paul is talking about here is the same situation. Love here is not an ordinary gift. The love he's talking about is not the love that many of us think about. Look, you walk onto a high school campus, you're going to find love happening. You walk into an office building with a bunch of coworkers, you're going to find love happening. If you walk into a prison yard, you're going to find love happening. If you walk on any sports team, you're going to find love happening. And it's awesome. But it's a different sort of love. I've made friendships with people over a mutual hatred of a teacher. 
I can't stand Mrs. So-and-so. I'm not going to say the name because they might be watching now, right? And we are, I can't stand her either. We should be friends, right? It's the same thing in office politics, right? How many people become friends because they can't stand their office environment? I see as many heads shaking. Yes, yes, right? My time in prison, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the times I've done jail ministry, they come in chummy with one another. There's love taking place there, right? On the sports team I've been you know, on, we have love for one another because we literally have a common goal, right? Ball in the net. But the love he's talking about here is not this type of love. Christian love is the kind of love that makes no sense to the outside world because it's not rooted in a common cause, in a common goal, in a common dislike. It's rooted in a common savior. And even when we are in sin against one another, he brings us together. Look, that's what makes the fruit of the Spirit miraculous. The fruit of the Spirit isn't miraculous because it grows in the garden. Any fruit tree can grow in a garden. Pagans have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control when everything in the world is right. Fruit of the Spirit is miraculous because it grows in a desert of death and suffering and struggle. And that's what makes it, whoa, amazing to an outside world. God doesn't call you to just to love your friend, right? He calls you to love your enemy or someone you're at enmity with, and they might go to your church. I think it's real easy to think that the Christian love he's talking about here is a bunch of people with dreadlocked hair sitting around with a bunch of African drums singing kumbaya. It's not. The love he's talking about here is hard love. People of Ephesus, it's a trade route. There's a bunch of different cultures there. They're weird. They're from all over. And it looked hard and different. It happens actively not passively. So one of the ways that we overcome the three hurdles of why it's hard to pray is to love and pray for the people whom it's hard to love and pray for. For those of you that have conflict with someone, pray for them regularly. Pray for their repentance. Pray for your repentance. Pray for their good and for them to grow deeper in their relationship with God. For the people that are hard in your life, and yes, it's that person that just popped into your head. Pray for them regularly, that you could see them the way God sees them and extend to them love the same way God has extended love to you. For those whose friendships you have in the church, rejoice in them, rejoice in them before the Lord. There is nothing more wonderful than Christian friendship and fellowship. One of the reasons I love my wife so much is yes, she affirms me many times when she has to find things to affirm, right? But she calls me out on my crap. That's love. I need that. And that's good Christian friendship. When you do these things, you jump those hurdles to why it's difficult to prayer. When you love, you display the true character of God to the world. When you love, you display the true nature of your relationship with God. And when you love, you slap the devil in the face and you say, my love is greater. Which leads us to the hope in something beyond ourselves. It's the hope that moves us. 
I know there's a lot of the verse left and you all are freaking out right now. Like I just went through one verse. We're going to fly through this, okay? But it all kind of flows together and it's rich. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He was reminding them again here that it's all a gift. As you grow in wisdom and knowledge of him in the spirit of God, the spirit of God will reveal stuff that you need to learn. And he's not saying that the spirit will help you achieve your own special internal revelation. He is saying, look at the scriptures that God has given to you, another gift, and you will grow in wisdom. He uses this next phrase here, which is weird. 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. You know, if you, you watch cable news, I don't think you've heard that phrase recently, right? Eyes of your heart, that makes no sense in our, in our culture. Why? Because you've got to see it to believe it. Eyes are linked with the brain, right? So what is he talking about here? It's a weird phrase. To know something, you have to see it. Here it's linked to the heart. Why? Heart in the New Testament refers to the central disposition, inclination, bent of the human soul. In simple terms, the bias. And everyone has bias. We want our beliefs to be right. We want our point of views to be perfect. Unfortunately, mankind's natural bias since the fall is against God. And we want to be God. Hence, when my opinion on everything is almost always right, and I look to tweets and news articles and political allies to justify my own opinion. R.C. Sproul reminds us, our natural prejudgment of reality is against God. To receive truth of God requires that our anti-bias be changed. The key work of the Holy Spirit is regeneration, is not giving new knowledge to the brain, but changing the disposition of the heart. So it's about the change of the heart, right? To what end? We're about to see having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Hope is the anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6.19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish, well, I really hope such and such is going to take place. Rather, it is that which latches onto the certainty of the promises in the future that God has made. And it is these promises that should help us overcome the three hurdles of prayer that we talked about before. When we know the outcome, we can love unconditionally. We can work for the benefit of our neighbor in this life without the nagging suspicion, well, prayer doesn't really work. R.C. reminds us that believers are motivated by the certainty that their work is in the world and they care for people in the here and now and that it's not in vain. Paul wants their minds to be open to know that the hope to which they have been called, to know how rich are the wonderful blessings that God promises his people, and to know how great is his power at work in those who believe. Back to the middle of 19. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This part's pretty cool, pretty cool, but it's easy 
to miss because many of you who are reading this text are wondering if Paul ever discovered that a period existed. And it's even worse in the Greek. They give you a period here at the end of verse 21 because they're gentle to us readers, right? But in the Greek, it's just one text, 15 through 23. But what is he saying here? What's getting lost in the shuffle here? Faith is a gift. Boom, you got it. If you have it, love is an outcome. Boom, you're moving. And what type of love? A love that is empowered by the gift of faith and a hope in what's to come. And in Greek, the power referred to in verses 19 and 20 is only used in terms of supernatural power. Well, how powerful is that gift and that hope that rests in the hearts of Christians? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. The same power over every authority and power and dominion. The same power that's above every name now, then, and forever rests in the church. Christian, it rests in you. Look, everyone on the planet would acknowledge that if Jesus rose from the dead on his own, it would be miraculous. But as Christians, we neglect the equally as miraculous that we're able to live out the Christian life. This verse says it's on par. Our sanctification is a supernatural work. Our faith is a supernatural work. Our love is a supernatural work. Our hope is far greater than this world. Does that mean we're passive? No. We are invited into this supernatural work. Well, how should this affect our prayer life? We are prone because of our sinful nature to think one of two things. One, we're spiritually weak. Or two, that our prayers are effectively worthless. And we wouldn't say that out loud, right? But we function as if they are. And this passage reminds us of who our God is. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 lays out the power, sovereignty, unity within the Godhead. Further, it reminds us that we are tied to that Godhead. How can you be spiritually weak if you're in Christ? When Christ is in you? When the same power that raised Jesus from the dead exists in you, you're not. Your prayers have awesome power because they're linked to the most awesome power, God himself. And then we struggle with seeing our prayers as effectively worthless. And I've seen this mostly happen when we interpret God saying no to a prayer as being ineffective. God says four things in response to our prayers. Three are really popular. Um, He says yes. He says no, and he says later. I like to add a fourth one called better. Because many a times I don't know what to pray for, and then I get something better. Most of you got that when you got your spouse, right? I did not have Corey in mind. I was an idiot, right? But God knew exactly what I needed. Hallelujah, right? Better. But you see... We're not spiritually weak. Our prayers aren't worthless. Or the false belief that if something bad happens to us, it's because we didn't pray hard enough or have enough faith. That exists in our culture too. That's a soapbox I'm not going to jump on because I'll be there for 10 minutes. Hear this. If you believe, which I've counseled someone on this, 
my mother died of cancer, and I did not have enough faith when I prayed to save her, that thought process is crap. super dangerous and super prevalent within the church. You know, the beauty of our God is God is not a cosmic vending machine dishing out our requests. He is a God who's woven you and your mess and your prayers into this beautiful story of redemption. And he uses his no in prayer to magnify the yes that I am God and I am worthy of worship no matter what cost or struggle. And when there is a cost or struggle, which there will be, you can turn to me to be with you through it because I am in you through it. That power resides within you. Let's make this real practical. How has COVID mess affected these three hurdles? Yeah, I already got some weird faces. You're all going to love this. Have you doubted God's character? As the world's gone crazy around you, or for some of you, dear friends and family members have passed away, rest in the faith that God has given you. Love those around you, whether they wear a mask or not. And may we hope in the fact that God is going to use even this. Have you doubted your relationship with God in the middle of a pandemic? Have you found yourself running to Ground your faith in medical doctors or the cable news network or whatever ally you can justify your own opinion? Do you find yourself more spending more time on your Twitter feed or Facebook feed or Instagram feed instead of the only feed that satisfies, which is the word of God? Lastly, have you remembered that we are battling spiritual forces just as much, if not more, than the pandemic forces that currently exist? And do you realize that a greater power resides in you if you are in Christ? Faith, love, and hope. I'm going to pray a prayer that I've put on your sheet. You can follow along. If, you, if, you like, if you're a visual learner, I wanted it to be there for you. It's Ephesians 3. It's the next time Paul prays in Ephesians you're going to find a lot of echoes. I think it sums up today's sermon well. <clears throat> bow your heads with me. For this reason, we bow our knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.